This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Words are important. In times of war, their importance is magnified. Never has my mission for Johnny Gould's Jewish State seemed more urgent. To combat the slurs, the lies, and the distortions of history which threaten Israel and Jewish people. The media has a responsibility, at the very least, not to fan conjecture and untruths because it comes with a byproduct incitement. And the media is a column found wanting to be woefully short of moral purpose. I made an impassioned speech at the entrance to BBC's broadcasting house in London as part of the National Jewish Assembly's protest rally about their coverage. As a former BBC sports presenter on the World Service's flagship programmes and The Breakfast Show at Radio 2, I'm alarmed at the misapplication of their own journalistic standards and ethics. Hamas, who decapitated babies, burnt bodies alive, executed people in their own homes, at the bus stop, at a peace festival. Martin! Terrorists? No, that's taking sides, isn't it, John Simpson? Tweet after tweet after tweet, defending himself and thanking his head. Oh, thank you so much. You've been wonderful. Like he won a bleeding Oscar. You're at grass, mate. You're finished. You're finished. The lack of accountability in there, which is actually most repulsive. And if this is where the BBC has ended up, I know for a fact there are fair-minded people in there. There are fair-minded journalists in there, I know for a fact, who are prisoners of conscience. They can't speak out. Because the BBC may stand for diversity of people, but not for diversity of opinion. We all pay for this with our license fee. I haven't checked your bank accounts. But let me ask you, media is still important, isn't it? What price? Is our nation paying for a self-serving, inward-looking organisation on full mission creep? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And when the world's lead international politician finds these words, you might well wonder whether the world is ranged against Israel. Holding the Jewish state to a different standard, the butchery, the rape, kidnapping, given an excuse... Here's United Nations Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres. Excellencies, it is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence, 
their economy stifled, their people displaced, and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. But the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas, and those appalling attacks cannot justify the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. His words have caused outrage in Israel. The resolve to destroy Hamas, the dismissal of proportionality, and calls for a ceasefire. Foreign Minister Eli Cohen declares Israel's fight is a war of the free world. The war which was imposed on us, there is no side. This war was imposed on us. It's not only Israel's war. It is the war of the free world. I hear the call for proportionality. I hear the calls, as said Lim before, for a ceasefire. Tell me, what is a proportionate response for killing of babies? For rape women and burn them? For beheading of a child? How you can agree to a ceasefire with someone who swore to kill and destroy your own existence? How? The proportional response to October 7 massacre is a total destruction, a total destruction to the last one of the Hamas. It is not only Israel's right to destroy Hamas, it's our duty. For Israel, it's a matter of survival. The free world should remember and never forget what happened on October 7th. Today, this barbaric terror hit Israel. Tomorrow, it will be at everyone's doorstep, at everyone's doorstep. These terrorists don't have only Israel destruction in mind. Their dream is the world. Read about it. Exactly like the Nazis. They say it. They are willing to expand. This war was imposed on us. We have not chosen this war, but have no doubt. We are going to win it. We are going to win it because this war is for life. This war must be your war as well. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. The media caused mayhem as it rushed to parrot the claims of the so-called Gaza Health Ministry ergo Hamas, that claimed that hundreds were killed in a blast which hit the Al-Akhli Hospital car park. It was, quotes, likely caused by a missile, or part of one, launched from within Gaza towards Israel, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak told the House of Commons in England. The IDF showed the misfiring rocket from Palestinian Islamic Jihad and released imagery and communication intercepts as proof. And Mr Sunak hit out at the misreporting of the incident, which he said had a negative effect in the region, including on a vital US diplomatic effort and on tensions here at home. I call the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. When things are so delicate, 
we all have a responsibility to take additional care in the language we use and to operate on the basis of facts alone. The reaction to the horrific explosion at the Al-Ahli Arab Hospital was a case in point. As I indicated last week, we have taken care to look at all the evidence currently available. Mr Speaker, I can now share our assessment with the House. On the basis of the deep knowledge and analysis of our intelligence and weapons experts, the British Government judges that the explosion was likely caused by a missile, or part of one, that was launched from within Gaza towards Israel. The misreporting of this incident had a negative effect in the region, including on a vital US diplomatic effort and on tensions here at home. We need to learn the lessons and ensure that in future there is no rush to judgment. I live in London and we couldn't go out where we wanted at the weekend, just two weeks after the worst atrocities committed on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. There were open calls for the destruction of Israel and murder of Jews on the streets of London. And the chants were explicit. came out in support for the Palestinian cause. Lines blurred, utterly indistinct from whether or not their support included full-blooded backing for the Hamas terrorists, executing, raping, beheading, mutilating, desecrating, kidnapping. There was no alternative column calling for peace with Israel, no peace movement among them and their Western supporters. As prominent Israeli writer and former member of the Knesset, Enat Wilf tweeted, we're told that most Palestinians do not support Hamas. Very well. Where then are the large-scale Palestinian protests demanding Hamas release the abducted hostages, children, toddlers, grandparents, civilians, immediately and without condition? Where then is the sole Palestinian protester standing in Trafalgar Square with a sign that says, Not in my name. Where is the one Palestinian intellectual who'll write an op-ed expressing deep shame that acts of the greatest cruelty in human history were carried out in the name of free Palestine and from the river to the sea? If the PLO, Fatah and Palestinian Authority represent moderate Palestinians, where is the outcry, the horror, the heartfelt denunciations? Why must international pressure be fruitlessly brought to bear to try to elicit even a pale shadow of them? If Hamas is not supported in Gaza, where then is the Palestinian in Gaza who come forth with information about the hostages? Even in Nazi Germany, when some Germans understood that Hitler was bringing disaster on their country, there were those who attempted to assassinate him. Where are the Palestinians in Gaza who'll take action against Hamas? And why is it that the instinctive response of so many to these questions is to make excuses as to why not even one of these things should be expected of any Palestinian anywhere? One, two, three, four! Occupation is a crime! 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 Occupation
occupation no more! In the UK, the Home Secretary and the Metropolitan Police clashed as protesters chanted for jihad against the Jewish state during the demonstrations with genocidal chants and anti-Semitic signs. Hezbat Ukhriya, Islamist movement, banned in Germany, made speeches on a stage in, of all places, Balfour Muse, emboldened by a British media led by the BBC who refused to brand Hamas terrorists. Too few arrests, excuses from the cops on social media for why certain chants and signs and phrases weren't hate crimes, all to the fear and bewilderment of the Jewish community responsible media and the government, and as the Times leader put it, it's time for the police to assert themselves because, quotes, doing nothing about hate speech on the streets of this country is just not an option. Speaking outside the Home Office after his meeting with Suella Braverman, Metropolitan Police Commissioner Sir Mark Rowley suggested laws around extremism and hate crime should be redrawn. He said other countries are more robust than the UK is. The law that we've designed around hate crime and terrorism over recent decades hasn't taken full account of the ability of extremist groups to steer around those laws and propagate some pretty toxic messages through social media. And those lines probably need redrawing. It's a really difficult thing to do. If you look at the counter-extremism commission report, which I was involved in some three years ago, that has many examples in there. One of the things we found was there are countries across the world who are, they've got different frameworks which have some advantages. I mean, for example, um, who were protesting at the weekend and some of their posters caused big concern. They're banned in Germany. Um, they're also banned because most of the um, most of the world, but they're banned in Germany. So there are frameworks which are more assertive in some respects than ours. And I think there's lessons to be learned. But that's for politicians and parliament to draw the line. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has been unequivocal in his support for Israel and Britain's Jewish community. But Benjamin Netanyahu predicts a long war. He'll hope the noble words of his allies are matched by deeds. Mr Netanyahu recalled Britain's part in the Second World War as he urged for continuous UK support. And in this news conference, alongside the British Prime Minister, Mr Netanyahu said, 80 years ago, the civilised world stood with you in your darkest hour. This is our darkest hour. It's the world's darkest hour. We need to stand together and we will win. And this is why I support, I value your support, and the fact that you're here, we must win together. But there will be ups and downs, and there will be difficulties. Prime Minister Sunak Rishi, I want to thank you for your solidarity. I've never seen the people of Israel as united, more united than they are now. But we need that unity across the board and continuous support as we prosecute and win this just war against the modern barbarians. We have here two forces. One is an axis of evil led by Iran through Hezbollah, Hamas and others that want to bring back the Middle East to the Middle Ages to an age of bonded, bondage and war and slavery and annihilation. And the other force is the forces of progress uh, and humanity that want to push the Middle East into a world of peace and prosperity. We absolutely support Israel's right to defend itself in line with international law, to go after Hamas, to take back hostages, deter further incursions, and to strengthen your security for the long term. You describe this as Israel's darkest hour. 
well, then it's for me to say I'm proud to stand here with you in Israel's darkest hour as your friend. We will stand with you in solidarity. We will stand with your people. And we also want you to win. Thank you. And back in the UK was British Israeli Rabbi Leo D, whose daughters and wife were shot dead in a Hamas terrorist attack six months to the day before October the 7th. And he says he feels safer in Israel than the UK. He describes the Anglo-Jewish community as sitting ducks. Rabbi D said seeing people in the UK marching in support of Hamas reminded him of Hitler marching in Berlin. And he feels safer in Israel because residents are, quotes, more prepared. They're armed. His wife Lucy, who was 48, died three days after her daughters, Rena, 15, Maya, 20. And they were shot and killed in Judea and Samaria on April the 7th. This is his speech from the Kinloss Synagogue in London, followed by his considered thoughts. I'm here on behalf of the um, Israeli embassy um, and also in my capacity as a victim of terror myself. As you know, six months ago uh, to the day from the 7th of October, the 7th of April, uh, I was driving up to the north of Israel with my wife in a second car. She was with my two daughters, Maya and Rina, and I was with another two children, and my fifth child was uh, staying in Jerusalem for the weekend. Um, as we got halfway up the journey, uh, we took different routes, and half an hour later, I discovered from a telephone call that there'd been a terror attack uh, en route. Was I okay? I said yes. I called my wife, Lucy. No answer. I called my daughter, Maya. No answer. I called my daughter, Rena. No answer. I checked on Google Family Link, and I found they were exactly at the location that the terror attack was said to have occurred. So I turned the car around, and my son had access to an Israeli website uh, where they publish pictures uh, in real time of terror attacks if somebody sees something. And he saw a car uh, with bullet holes and blood on the back seat um, and our swim bag that was very recognizable that we were taking up, to, up north. So we feared the worst and uh, we drove as fast as we could. We got there probably an hour after the, uh, after the incident um, and we discovered that a Palestinian car with two Palestinians had swerved my wife off the road uh, till she stopped. Uh, the two of them had got out and pumped 20 bullets into them uh, with a Kalashnikov, uh, two bullets going into my wife's uh, brainstem and into her spine, one bullet blowing off the face of one of my daughters, another one killing her in her seat. Um, and uh, my wife had been airlifted to Jerusalem, so we drove straight down to Jerusalem. We spent two days with her by her bedside, praying that she would recover, but there wasn't any hope. We ended up burying my two daughters on the Sunday and my wife uh, on the Tuesday. So I, I come as, an, uh, as a, a, someone with a personal uh, experience of what it is to lose family to uh, Hamas, Palestinian-sponsored terror. And um, then uh, on October the 7th, which was both a Sabbath and a Jewish festival, um, I was sitting in synagogue uh, with my family and um, we had just um, finished reading the book of Deuteronomy and started reading the book of Genesis because the festival, Simchat Torah, is the time when we finish reading uh, in synagogue uh, the Torah, the five books of Moses, and we start again. And just as we completed reading about the creation of the world, the chaos that ensued before the world and, and the light, and God saying that there should be light, 
there was a siren, and men, women, and children, babies, elderly, disabled, had to get as quickly as possible to the nearest shelter, uh, because where we live, we have a minute and a half before uh, the bomb uh, arrives. Uh, we hid in the shelter, we heard five uh, booms, and then we came out once uh, it was safe, and we saw in the sky boomerang-shaped uh, clouds where the Iron Dome had actually knocked out these five uh, missiles in the sky above us and protecting our lives. Um, we completed the service, went home, and then that uh, afternoon we had a number more sirens where we had to gather together uh, in fear in my daughter's bedroom, which is the safe room. It's made of concrete uh, with our neighbors from upstairs because they shared the same safe room. So we had nine of us gathered together uh, on, this, uh, on that particular Sabbath. Uh, a few days ago, uh, that there was an alleged attack on a um, Gazan hospital. Immediately, um, the Hamas terrorists um, sh shouted out that 500 people had been killed by an Israeli, uh, Israeli rocket. Um, the press seemed to um, absorb this and, and accept this analysis very quickly as the truth, even though it came from a um, genocidal uh, terrorist organization, uh, and even though it came out so quickly that there was no way of actually counting the number of casualties, and even though it later uh, seemed to be that the missile, a, a missile had fallen in a car park, um, and yet when it was retracted, um, of course, it didn't receive the same level of coverage as uh, the initial accusation. I think that uh, we have to be, uh, all of us in the civilized world, uh, we have to be sensible, we have to be responsible, we have to be honest, uh, and we have to look at the situation not as a football match of you know, how many goals are scored on each side, but actually um, as a war against uh, evil, which has to be completed. I feel safer in, in Israel than I feel in uh, England at this point, because in Israel, uh, everybody knows what the risk is. They know where the risk is coming from. A lot of my neighbors carry guns, and um, that's for self-protection. And I think a lot of the evil element uh, are aware of this and therefore are less likely to attack. Uh, in Britain, of course, uh, people don't carry guns. Uh, the Jewish community is a, is a sitting duck. Um, the schools have had to close here uh, because there's just complete panic. Uh, I once heard Michael Gove, who at the time was the education secretary about 15 years ago, um, speaking to the Jewish community and saying it's unacceptable that the only group of people in Britain who have to have armed guards outside their schools and places of worship are the Jews. He said, in a civilized society, why is that? And, I, and we can see that there are people out there who wish to perpetrate genocide against the Jewish people. There always were, and unfortunately, you know, there still are. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we witnessed that on the 7th of October in Israel. But, um, you know, now we've seen it. Um, there is a complete uh, unified response from the Jewish people and the Israeli people to eliminate that threat uh, because we've been here too many times before. My, my family here are very frightened about the security implications of what's happened. If after a Hamas genocide against Jewish people, people could come out in support and march through the streets, um, how bad will it be you know, if and when Israel starts to retaliate seriously um, in order to attack Hamas and uh, Palestinians are killed in that. You know, at that point, how bad will these uh, protests and violence become against the Jewish people? So that, that is the concern. 
Um, and I think the concern should not just be for the Jewish people in, in this country, but for any civilized person, because uh, some of these evil uh, genocidal uh, supporters um, don't differentiate you know, between Jews and, and anyone else. I, th I think the risk to society is, is uh, great of uh, terror, and um, no, that doesn't mean that one should back down. I think that actually uh, this might be the moment to confront it because every year that we leave this risk simmering in the background, uh, the tools of these terrorists uh, get more sophisticated. The training of these terrorists gets more sophisticated. The funding gets more sophisticated from Iran and from Qatar. Um, and therefore, I think you know, the sooner that the West stands up to this uh, existential threat and deals with it, the better, because the longer we leave it, uh, the less chance we have of surviving it. I think that um, you know, the, the fact that a number of people started uh, marching down the streets immediately after this uh, atrocity uh, in support of Hamas um, shone a light on uh, some elements of society that uh, really have, you know, I would say no morals, but I think actually it's probably worse than that, uh, are actually an evil element of society that wish to perpetrate uh, atrocities against civilized societies. So um, if those people exist, as they clearly do, um, then people should be scared, and not just Jews, but actually any civilized uh, members of society. Um, so of course, today, everybody has to be within you know, a minute of a, of a safe room. So uh, far less people are traveling on the roads because they're worried that if they're traveling, um, they won't be able to get to safety in time. So the roads are empty. Uh, a lot of the schools uh, are not operating because um, they don't want to have too many people in one particular building. So the kids are working remotely, very much like uh, we were during COVID. And um, now life has changed dramatically. Of course, 300,000 uh, fathers are on the battlefield. So many house, households are uh, become one-parent families and uh, it's become very difficult for, for people to, uh, you know, to, to, to run their day-to-day -day lives. There's a lot of competing attention for you, I do know. You're probably consuming more media than ever before to be right up to speed with what's going on in Israel and back home. I'm playing my part in the best way I can, using my journalistic and production skills to make the case for Israel via this, Johnny Gould's Jewish State, and I've done it since 2018. If you enjoy my podcast, and you'd rather it existed than not, that I kept doing it, you can support me very simply by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash johnnygould because it really helps. Tell your friends, subscribe now if you haven't already, scroll back and look through the 120 previous episodes. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>